0: Traveling the Vortex.
1: We've joined the Doctor as he travels the Vortex and arrive at episode number 419, where we're
0: seeing double. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How are you guys? I'm better than you guys. You guys both are dealing with colds. I'm now
1: at the remnants stage, I believe. Occasional uh, congestion and my voice sounding like Barry White in the morning. I am <laughs> I refusing, but only in the morning by the time I get to the evening, I'm
2: fine. I am refusing to refer to it as a cold. I'm not going to dignify it with that level of viral infection. So it's just an the plague incon- then? It's, it's just an inconvenience at this point.
0: Did uh, <laughs> you guys do anything fun this week?
1: Fought a cold. <laughs> <laughs> and rewatch bohemian rhapsody did you stay home keep no I, I went to work i wasn't that bad i never had a fever you really did push through it yeah well it, it, it hit me bad f- f- like thursday night and then f- by friday i was just congested and my i sounded horrible but like the runny nose was mostly Thursday evening, so I was able to deal with that off
0: work hours for the most part. What about you guys? you guys do anything fun? We finally got around to watching uh, Ralph Breaks the Internet. Oh, I still need to see that. How was it? We enjoyed it a lot. Holly was a little reluctant. We had talked about a few things to watch this weekend. We talked about going to Mary Poppins Returns. We talked about watching Bohemian Rhapsody. I had already purchased Wreck-It Ralph 2, so <laughs> 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 I <won. laughs> She was a little hesitant. She wasn't sure. She she liked the first one, but not. she's not enamored by it. But uh, we got done with this one, and she said, oh, I liked that really well, much better than the first one. So she is at oh, least wow. one person that I've heard that liked it better than the first one. I, I liked it almost as much. I think it's got a lot of terrific um, moments in it. The Disney connections are, are hilarious. I mean, all the properties, the – Uh, Star Wars connection, the Disney princesses, the, all of that. And then of course there's all the video game references in there again. So it was, it was really quite enjoyable. We liked it. I look forward to seeing that one.
2: Mel and I snuck out today and went and saw Alita Battle Angel. How was that? You know, I thought it was pretty phenomenal. It's, um, it's got some, you know, big dumb action movie problems, but it, it, it's, I'm still kind of digesting it, but pretty much think of every sci-fi actioneer you've seen in the last 20 years. It's a piece of that. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's it's got a little fifth element. It's got a little uh, speed racer. It's got a little uh, robo uh, uh, transformers. It's got a little, I mean, it, they're all in there. And it's 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 really cool. It was a lot of fun. It's almost too epic. I think there might be too much going on, but... Oh, we enjoyed it. Hmm.
1: Of course you did. It was written by James Cameron.
2: And directed by Robert <laughs> Rodriguez. So, you know, yeah. two ends.
1: That's not one that I really had much interest in, but now might have to revisit that.
2: Well, and apparently uh, everybody who's, it's based on a manga, on a Japanese manga comic book. And uh, everybody who has read this has come out and said, this is absolutely one of the most faithful adaptations of a comic book property ever. Huh. it's like, oh, okay, cool. I've never read it, so I I wouldn't know. Right. It's hmm. um it's it's got shades of um Ghost in the Shell. It's it's very similar to um Cameron's Dark Angel T V series. If you ever watch that, it's got a lot of influences of that in it, I think. It's got some Firefly in it. I mean it's it's just yeah. <laughs> it's it's all in there.
0: Wow. I have absolutely no desire to see it. I might pick it up in the library. <laughs> all right. Well, should we move on to feedback? No, we can.
1: let's do news first. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were just changing the order on me. I don't know but that's
0: all right. not the one who's sick either.
1: <laughs> well, there's not a lot of news this week other than. Maybe that's uh, why. Maybe that's yeah, why I tried to
0: move on. There's nothing going on.
1: There's just one little bit that if you're a VR fan, uh, you're going to be excited about. There's going to be a virtual reality animated short called The Runaway coming soon. So Jodie Whittaker will reprise her role in an animated form in an interactive story, which will run about 12 minutes long and will be available on selected VR headsets. No official release date yet, but it just says the coming months. And it will also feature music from Sagan Akinola. So there's no real details about the story other than it's going to be a cool animated VR experience.
0: I have to wonder if it's... uh... Available on certain VR headsets, so that means you have to have something like Oculus Rift. Is it Rift? Oculus Rift. Or Oculus, whatever it is, uh, or the other big one, I, which the name escapes me now. I wonder if you have to have one of those specific ones.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. It doesn't really go into details about it, other than it's it's a team of BBC VR Hub has been put working on it and putting it together. So, huh. and they've done some other other VR projects. So, well.
0: Maybe a few years before we review that one.
1: <laughs> yeah, I definitely don't have VR goggles and don't anticipate getting one anytime soon. So, somebody also have to, you know, hop on that bandwagon.
0: <laughs> All right, Sean, it's up to you to buy VR.
2: Uh, I, I just paid for pinball. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, if I ever upgrade to a PlayStation 4, there is PlayStation VR, but I'm not sure it'll come out on that platform. So, you never know.
0: It might. That's a big one. It yeah. It eventually, is
1: a big port one. to that especially for uh, the U.S. market. Yeah.
2: And that's it in news. (laughs) I'd like to have a VR. I don't know what I'd do with it. but
1: See, this doesn't appeal to me. The idea of it is
2: not alluring
1: enough for me to want to go buy one.
0: All right. Well, should we move on to feedback?
2: Let's move on to feedback. Our feedback this week comes from Jamie. I'm going to attempt this. And, Keith, I might have to tag out. That's fine. I'll keep up. Uh, Jamie writes, hello, Stonehenge. Wait, this isn't Stonehenge. It's Kansas. I thought it looked too flat and no stones. Oh, well, I have vortexers top five companions. I'd say that the brig does count as a companion, all good choices. And I could definitely understand not being able to rank them. And I'll accept pairs like Amy Rory, Ian Barbara. Ben Polly, Perry Aram, etc., as one companion because they are inseparable. My favorites, in absolutely no particular order, would be Evelyn, Ace, Charlie, without Cariz, Romana 2, K-9, Leela, Airman, the Brig, Jamie Zoe, yeah, this is hard. <laughs> Having a little trouble reading my email, Keith? I'll forgive you for not attempting the Mandoa. Sean, I fully understand. I'll get to stuff as I progress. As I listen and comment on things, I figure that the time differential between my comments and the original episode is about seven years in closing. On to episode 59, <laughs> which was your RTD retrospective. I enjoyed the RTD era. It had a lot of great episodes, and the season story arcs were simple, with little hints sprinkled throughout the season before a nice payoff in the final 2 I got into Doctor Who at the start of the Moffat era, so I can't claim that Russell made me the Doctor Who fam I am today. You mentioned the new, at least at the time, Dirk Gently show. I've watched both seasons and can say that it's good. It's very weird and brilliant and confusing. The other thing for this episode is on the topic of canon, specifically, Shada. What counts now? The original, unmade, partially made TV serial, the novelization, (laughs) the webcast, (laughs) big finish audio with the Eighth Doctor, Or the new remounted DVD with filler animation? Just a question for you to ponder. (laughs) Moving on, I skipped the galley side trips that sit between episodes 59 and 60. While I enjoyed the episode on Sean Mill's trip to galley, I'm not a huge con or cosplay person. just doesn't interest me and isn't my kind of fandom. Nothing against those that enjoy that sort of thing, just not for me. Otherwise, it was a good episode. Moving right along to episode 61, the Black Guardian trilogy. So, as I've been focusing on my watch through for the past several years, it's been a long time since I've seen these stories. I remember enjoying Mod When Undead, and while I don't remember that much about it. Of the three stories, the one I remember least is Terminus. I can't say much more. Enlightenment was good. I remember the Black Guardian, the ships, the ballroom scenes, not much else. You talk about the Fifth Doctor and how he feels flat on TV, especially compared to the eccentricity of Tom Baker. In your opinion, Have the audio adventures from Big Finish helped? On top of this, what are your thoughts on how Turlo has been handled on audio? Have his audio stories enhanced his character or detracted from how he was on TV? Interested in your thoughts?
1: Uh, Jamie, I think you'll be getting to those answers uh, probably shortly.
2: Yeah, for the most part, I think so.
1: I I think Sean, who's been more vocal about the Fifth Doctor being flat, uh, his his opinion slightly... Uh, alters when he actually meets him in person. Oh, spoilers. (laughs) Kind of like uh, Glenn with Sylvester McCoy.
2: The Guardians are an interesting concept. I feel that their mystique was used well in the key to time season, and the realization of the White Guardian and Ribos was well done. Or is it Ribos? Ribos. It's Ribos. I did it again. (laughs) The Black Guardian was interestingly realized, but I... Didn't really care for the negative effect. I actually kind of liked the design in the Black Guardian trilogy more so. Watching TARDIS sauce, episode one, the one without Keith, and your discussion of the most recent (laughs) season. (laughs) So far, I find myself agreeing with you. It's nice to hear that even Sean, the biggest Moffat fanboy I've encountered, thought it was time for him to go. Later in the video, Sean talks about the it's ours mentality, starting with Star Wars and the Special Editions. I'd agree with that. I'd also say that with the advent of the internet and its anonymity, as well as the rise of social media, we've got the increased volume of dissenters. Now it seems like everyone has the ability to shout their opinions from the mountaintops and the political climate of the United States, and I'm not blaming one side or the other on this, has bred a culture where it seems that once an individual states an opinion, it becomes fact and how dare anyone disagree with that fact, despite it really only being one opinion over another. Politics have always been a part of Doctor Who, but for Americans especially, unless you really know your British political history, most of the digs are obviously ignored. There's occasionally a story where the politics are blatant, say like the Sunmakers, or Power of Kroll, or Colony in Space, or elements that are political like the government bureaucrats in the Pertwee era. However, most of the time it won't be until the making of the special feature says, and in Britain at the time everyone knew this was a dig at Thatcher, or some such thing that you realize what they were intending. So yeah, it's always been there if you knew where to look. Now, however, it seems much more in your face. Take Bill, for instance, in Series 10. What bugged me was not the fact that the character of Bill Potts was gay, It was the idea that we had to be reminded of that every or nearly every single episode, that the character is gay or likes girls or whatever. It seemed very beat them over the head and sometimes didn't feel necessary to the story at hand. It also didn't help that when it was revealed that Bill would be gay, Pearl Mackey said that it was nice to have gay representation in a mainstream show and that it had never been done before in a show like Doctor Who and it was about time. A. We'd already had Captain Jack. And B, okay, she's a gay character. You don't have to beat me over the head with it. I really don't care as long as it's done tastefully and you aren't ramming it down my throat. When it was announced that Jodie had been cast as the 13th Doctor, the internet exploded. How dare you make a male character a woman? Not my Doctor. This isn't the show I grew up with. I'm done. My take was, okay, the Doctor's a woman. I like Jodie from Broadchurch. She's a good actress. Let's give it a chance. What really bugged me was the marketing from the BBC leading up to the premiere, mainly the glass ceiling trailer now I may be wrong but I took that trailer as the BBC saying look we're pushing the envelope and breaking the glass ceiling by making the doctor a woman it's about time we've done this look how progressive we are I realized that most people probably took the it's about time tagline as it's a show about time travel of course it's about time I instead saw it as political Thankfully, the actual episodes didn't dwell on the gender change and weren't overly political. Okay, that rant's over. Moving on now. Rewatched Journey's In the other day. I don't know, maybe it was last week or last month by the time you read this. Let's just say I watched it recently. <laughs> Good episode, but I noticed that Davros looked very CGI. I know that it's makeup and an actor, but everything else looks like practical effects and props. But Davros looks very CG. Does anybody else notice that?
1: have to go back and revisit it i did not notice that I when i watched
2: it i don't
0: particularly thinking remember thinking that he looked cg'd
2: also i've made it to shada in my watch through of who i'm wondering <laughs> if steven are we which back? one <laughs> are we yeah are we back to this which one
1: <laughs> and which one's canon
2: <laughs> i'm wondering if Stephen moffat remembered tom baker's intro and linking narration for shada when he created the curator for day of the doctor yeah. i'm thinking mm-hmm. that tom isn't playing the fourth doctor in those linkings but rather the curator
0: oh i like it That's a good idea. head cannon. All yeah right. uh, it's my headcanon now
2: food for thought i'm really enjoying your show you guys do a great job keep up the good work jamie thank, thank you jamie. jamie thank you jamie
1: we're catching up on your feedback and you're catching up with us so <laughs> it's a, it's kind of a slow march for both of us but we're getting there.
0: And and I do want to address something about uh talking about the the uh the political correctness of the show and I think that uh, you have some fine points. I don't think we all entirely agree with them but we do like to hear opinions about those kind of things and so uh we th- we feel it's important that your voice be heard because I think everybody should have a chance to express their their Feelings, And and like I say, I think you have some, I think you have some good thoughtful points there and I commend you for those. Not that we necessarily agree, but I think he had some great points.
1: Yeah. And I think the, like the tagline specifically was chosen. So it could be either it's a show about time travel. So it's about time or it's about time as a political statement on the casting of a woman in the role. So I think they chose that on purpose to be dual, uh, dual purpose, which I kind of like the fact that you could look at it either way.
0: All right, well, should we move on to our reviews?
1: Let's. First up, a town called Fortune. Wanted, dead or alive, for the murder of William Donovan. Problems beset the doctor and evil and Smythe as they travel by a train to the West wild west town of Fortune. A young woman is investigating the murder of her father nine years earlier, and a wanted poster indicates the doctor is the killer. With the TARDIS lost to them and the law on their tail, can the travelers unravel the mystery, or or will Rachel and Donovan take her revenge
2: first? This one gets a bump, bump.
1: Oh, only a two bump bumps.
2: Yeah, because it started off. It started off and it was bump bump, and then it didn't really end. It just kind of stopped. You mean the story? Yeah. Well, it resolved. (laughs) Kind of. Eh, Kind of. I tell you, I, I'll, I'll go ahead and go first. I was really excited by this one. I didn't know anything about it, but it's a Western. It's like, ooh, okay, cool. It's Evelyn. It's a six doctor. We're on a train. Fantastic. I'm eating it up. Setting, uh, atmosphere. Oh, it's 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 a little bit of, uh, you know, murder on the Orient Express almost. But the murder hasn't happened yet, but the doctor, there's a time travel element here that he's wanted for murder in a town he's never been to. All right. Oh, and then now we're jumping off the train. Why didn't you just go back to the TARDIS? Okay, that's all right. We'll, we'll just we'll catch up to her <laughs> at the end of the line. All right. Oh, there's a mine. Oh, it's Indiana Jones and there's slaves. Oh, this is terrible. We're going to stop them. Oh, we got captured and we got carted off to the sheriff who's not evil, but he's a little off. And then he lets have Evelyn go to the saloon. Okay. Um, I, well, I guess he's not evil. So, okay. And then there's a bar fight. Righteous. Because, of course, there is. It's a wild west story. There are certain checkboxes you have to have, you know. Yes. And then we get caught up with this daughter who's looking for the, her father's murder from nine years earlier. Okay, age difference. I guess. All right. It took her a while she had to grow up. Okay, I'll allow it. And then the mayor. Okay, obviously the mayor's the bad guy. He's slimy. <laughs> he's, he's just, it makes no bones about that. It's a western, you know. It's, it's a companion chronicle. We've we've spent half an hour on setting. <laughs> we've we've, we've got to get to the meat of the story. Give me the mayor. Here he is. He's the bad guy. Okay, go. And then it just kind of petered out we, we get to the, the the newspaper office and reveal that the big secret is oh the the one guy loved the other woman and he was married and didn't want anybody to find out but he'd struck it rich so he went and signed the deed and the mayor found out and yeah he, he uh, uh
1: he, he renamed the town but the mayor didn't actually kill the guy that we think he killed he just you know took advantage of his death because of another love triangle because the the sheriff was in love with the same woman and was jealous and accidentally
2: killed him the sheriff killed him it was just an accident it was like okay nothing happened i mean it just the the whole thing was this this kind of case of mistaken identity i mean it was an accident and yes i get the, the the you know the tragedy of it and the fact that it was an accident because of the illicit nature of the affair and that everything you know that went on but it just it just the the whole house of cards was built upon the one lie and at any point in time they could have remedied this problem on their own without any interference from our heroes and it it, it just it just felt like a very unnecessary intervention for them to come in and, and clean up this mess and then there's the whole aspect of the, well, what about this time paradox? What about the fact that doctor's never been here and he's responding? How did they do that? Oh, well, I was mistaken. When we stopped at this town, they radioed ahead, and I thought it was that they were calling. What? That That's that's the whole the, the, he, he, the, They radioed ahead and said, here's this guy on the train. Go print up some wanted posters, and the mayor has enough clout to tell everybody in town, pretend these have been up for a year. <laughs>
1: That's probably the most ludicrous part of the story, yeah.
0: Why bother?
2: <laughs> yeah, I, w-
0: I would agree. I felt like that was the weakest point of it, um, especially since they'd kind of hung their hat on that early on about that. And I wondered, okay, so how are they going to resolve the fact that the doctor's already wanted before he even gets there? That'll be interesting. And then it wasn't if, interesting. And
2: exactly. Was like, yeah. if, if you're going to dangle that carrot in front of me, you need to build the story around it. It it can't be an afterthought and it feels very much like the writer got to the end and then went, Oh crap. I never resolved that, uh, here. Uh, You know, I, I, I I was much more interested in that than the rest of the rigmarole about this mine, but everything that happened, all of the, you know, it, 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 it tried to cram every Western story trope into this hour long story and didn't quite know how to resolve all of them other than, uh, and then we fixed it, <laughs> <laughs> you know, cause we, 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 didn't get a big confrontation at the mine. We did, we blew up a mountain, but it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a satisfying confrontation at the, at the mine. We, we, we didn't, uh, you know, oh, we're, we're going to the deed office and there's a fight. Well, we did, but it wasn't really a satisfactory one. We burned the building down. Yeah. <laughs> Just, we fixed it. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I just I thought it, I thought it was a very promising start that just kind of petered out.
0: Yeah, I I felt all along it was pretty much a middling story. I I enjoyed the wild west tropes, but you know me, I like the westerns. Um but overall I just kind of thought the story was there. I did appreciate the storytelling aspect of starting at the end of everything being resolved and she talks to the sheriff about uh getting their story straight basically that was, so it was very cool yeah, yeah it, was a neat, it was a neat vehicle to get into this type of storytelling when you're doing these companion chronicles um and it was really good to hear uh maggie uh get to do uh some you know big finish outside of uh the main range so I i thought that was really interesting too but Overall, it was just I was there for the ride most of the way, and I can't disagree with a lot of the issues that that Sean had with it because I kind of felt that way. Maybe maybe not as strongly, but overall, it was just kind of one of those, okay, I'm glad this wasn't more than an hour. Yeah, I I think I agree.
1: Um, I can't dispute any of the, the issues Sean brought up. But that being said, I didn't really notice them while listening to it. I it was after the fact that I thought of, okay, well, that kind of that part didn't quite work, and I did heavily roll my eyes. Of, oh, they just called ahead of the time paradox aspect. But I had I enjoyed listening to Maggie Staples do this story so much that I was a willing to excuse a lot of these things because it was short and. I had fun while listening to it, even though some of the plot didn't quite deliver what it promised.
2: I will 100% agree with that, is that that Maggie totally, her performance as Evelyn, and realistically as the Sixth Doctor, and everybody else, is what sells. it. It was just fun to hear her back in action.
1: And I really like having listening to these uh, companion chronicles occasionally because it's just nice to have a change of format of how Big Finish does their stories. I mean, I love listening to the big full audio production plays, but it's nice to get these two handers occasionally and listen to them and and hear a different format of them describing things and you know doing a bit more traditional audiobook style. Uh, I, I really enjoy
2: listening to that change okay. too. It's kind of a breath of fresh air. Yeah. I'm angry.
0: Yeah. I agree.
2: I will say that um the the format I I initially had it fixed. <laughs> and this this may be another reason why it it didn't work for me at the end. Because we we had just come off of real time and we're stuck in that <laughs> what happened. <laughs> and the first thing the sheriff says to her at the start of this one is, Are you feeling better? And she went, yeah. And I went, Oh, this is set right after real time. There's a, there's an adventure in between. It was just off camera that we didn't see where they wrapped it up. They fixed it <laughs> and she's recouping from the virus. Okay. Done. And then we got the flashback with the Western. Okay. And then we get to the end of the story and you realize that he's talking about, oh, are you feeling better? Because you know, you the smoke inhalation and the, this and the, as I, like, Oh, yeah, that doesn't quite. Uh, so much fit for them, that idea. <laughs> I tried. Darn I tried. it. Tried.
0: It was worth a shot. It was worth a shot. All right. Well, so we move on to the next one.
1: Yes, I think we'll have a lot, a bit more to discuss on this one because it's a plot that's a bit more complex. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Perry
1: and the Piscon Paradox: The Doctor and Perry journey to Los Angeles, ni- two thousand nine, to do battle with a Piscon. His name is Zaro and he's a fish of utmost evil. <laughs> Zaro is going to steal all the water of Earth and sell it to the highest bidder. Or blow up the San Andreas Fault. Or the planets. Or something like that. He's a bit vague on that point. Fortunately, to stop him, there's help from an unexpected source. A future version of Perry. She knows Zaro's dark secret. But should the future Perry be on Earth at all? Something smells fishy, and it's not just Zaro. Uh, That's a great
0: synopsis. It is a good Uh,
2: synopsis. Glenn, you want to start?
0: (laughs) Yeah. You know, this is one where I started listening to this, and I thought, okay, that's what kind of story this is going to be. It's just going to be a fun, (laughs) silly, ridiculous tale. And I still had in my back of my mind, okay, how is this Perry? How is this a future version of Power? How are they going to get there? And the first half of this, the first disc of this, it just really was just kind of there. And I thought... I thought Nicola Bryant did a terrific job, especially playing two versions of herself, one older, one younger, um, doing much of the rest of the voice cast in there was, was great. Uh, even her doing the doctor, I thought, I felt like she kind of found his voice. Uh, but I just kept thinking how absurd and silly it was. And I had to kind of shut my brain down and think, okay, this is just gonna, I just got to sit back and have fun with this and just let it go. And, then, then when the first part ended, I thought, well, that's kind of weird that they went there and didn't. It's almost like they were not taking themselves too seriously. But on the flip side, they should have at least given me a more of a satisfaction of why they did the story this way. But I kind of thought, and, and the other things that were bothering me were the fact that, you know, the Piscons, I mean, seriously, they're reincarnated <laughs> as humans. I mean, come on. And people are getting plastic surgery because they want to be more like fish <laughs> but again i was just going to kind of leave it there and and i kind of thought okay well maybe we're going to get a new perspective because i knew that the sixth doctor was a part of the second one and so then when we get into the second one and i realize what they've done suddenly the first part is brilliant because (laughs) when we go down this road of discovering who perry really is the fact that she's not some secret agent in, the, in her future self it's she's putting on an act as, as as Nev Fountain who's writing this unfolds the second half of this story the first half of the story is so much better because yeah. not only does he do it in such a way that a lot of times when you do these double writes where you've got two versions of uh, two perspectives of the same thing a lot of times you'll double up and you'll see or hear the same scenes over again and he does a really good job of telling most of the story away from each other so that you don't have a lot of that overlapping dialogue, a lot of that overlapping, you're you're reliant on remembering what was said in certain scenes from the first one to, to build on what's going on behind the scenes in the second story. And so I think I really liked how that was delivered because sometimes it can get tedious to, to get a lot of repeat and there wasn't a lot of repeat. Scenario was repeated, but there was not a lot of repeated dialogue uh, it just, it, it went on great. It was terrific to have uh, uh, Colin Baker perform the role of the Sixth Doctor. He was so funny and so, it was and so and Yeah. Up. And the other thing that I, I, it made me long for, I wish, and I'm sure it was circumstantial, but I think that uh, it made me long to have had Peter Davison do the Doctor in the first story. Because mm-hmm. I think that would have been the icing on the cake, making this entirely better. But as it is, I think it still worked really well um, and then just oh, the the end of this just went miles and above where anything of this nature could go because it suddenly grabbed the Perry paradox of all time and ran with it and explained why we have in Doctor Who a version of Perry that dies. We've got a Perry, version that goes off and becomes queen with Yukranos. And, you know, and then it drops peppering in the idea that there are other Perrys out there as well. I thought that was a great idea to be able to take Perry's character in the future and do something similar where you've got other incarnations, but also it really kind of, for me, I've always been bothered by the fact that she's kind of, the Perry that I understand got uh, the the finale was Perry. I've always accepted Perry went off and, and married ukranus and, and became Queen of the Planet, especially since there's a terrific comic out there that Colin Baker wrote. Um, and so I've, I've always liked that idea, but I've always thought it's kind of odd that she would go that route. And it really, I kind of felt like It's almost, it was that, that life was forced on her. And so to have this version of Perry justify that with the whole kids thing, did she, did she go on to have a family? Did she go on to have kids? I just, I got, I get chills talking about it now, recounting it. And I got (laughs) chills from that because I thought, yeah, ultimately they made that what Perry really wanted in life. And this Perry, this young version of Perry that we get here. That does experience all those things and does go that direction. It really is a fitting ending retroactively, and so I really, really appreciated that.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I, I thought the the first part was a fun little romp that was kind of odd and strange and a bit ridiculous, and then it justifies it all in the second half, and you have a lot of fun, and it's it's very humorous. It's very almost a parody of a Doctor Who story. And then you get this weight dropped on you as the two Perrys say goodbye from the older Perry's perspective, and then from there on out, it is just this heavy, heavy uh, aspect of what happened to Perry. Not only you know when she came back uh, with the spousal abuse, but then mm. discovering what the Time Lords had done to Perry multiple times and splintering her timeline, and all of this aspect of stuff that. That part just absolutely blew me away of how they were able to structure all of that.
0: I also like that this pair exists based on a precedent that's already been set in Doctor Who, where they return to her own timeline. She remembers the first adventure with the Doctor, but doesn't remember anything, or, you know, doesn't remember any of the rest of it. And she's plucked back into her own life. Very similar to what they do with Jamie and Zoe.
1: And the pain in Colin Baker's voice when he mentions Jamie and Zoe. Yeah. And the fact that it happened to them, too, was just a perfect way to deliver that
2: line. Uh, Yeah, I I can't add too much um, to what you were saying. I mean, just as as we're going on in the first part, it became very clear very quickly that, oh, this is a farce. This is not just a fun romp. This is a complete and utter. Especially once
1: we get into the second part where the sixth doctor is dressing up as (laughs) Zarl. It almost becomes a pantomime. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it, the, the the first part is 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 farcical because there's so much of it that is not explained. We have characters running off stage that disappear for chunks of it. We we have things happening that there's no explanation for, and uh, a very badly drawn future Perry, who's the secret agent that is not secret and really not an agent. I mean it's, it's fairly obvious. And as as younger Perry is trying to put together the pieces of why is why is all this happening and the fifth doctor seemingly is fairly oblivious to everything that's going on around him. <laughs> Uh, with these fish people. And the whole, as soon as they brought up the reincarnation bit, man, every red flag in my sci-fi box went up. <laughs> and I was just like, no, 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 no. I don't care if this is a farce. You have to come up with something that explains this yeah, one. I agree. And then they didn't. It just ended. And I sat there and fumed for a little bit. And I was just like, ooh, <laughs> this is... Man, and I was really worried that this was going to be one of those big finish stories where we kind of we, we've had a few of these now where uh, the, these three parts are one story and then this part is another story and it's only kind of loosely linked to this one. So I fired up the next one and got into it only to discover <laughs> that now it's old Perry's turn to recount the same sequence of events and you get all those missing bits. And suddenly you realize that this wasn't a farce, it's something completely else, but yet it is still a farce because of the way things, are. as you say, kids a pantomime, and the, the tongue-in-cheek with, okay, not only is the doctor now dressed up as a fish man, the, the you know rubber monster zipper in the back, well, that's where I put a universal translator, <laughs> making fun of the show itself. Um, I, it, it was it was it was just spot on, perfect. The, 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 there were just so many of those kinds of nods that it was like, all right, you know, I, I can't be, I can't be upset anymore at what you've done. And they go back and they fix everything from part one. It's tight and it's perfect, and it it it, it just left me flabbergasted. And I was like, okay, wow, cool. And then we get to the goodbye, and. Dark doesn't even begin to cover it. It went full blown left turn into Downersville. It went um, DC. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it went Zack Snyder DCU. <laughs> um, Perry, we, we, we've been talking about this perfect husband that young Perry has idolized forever that she's going to go back. And it was his name, Davy. Yeah. She's going to go back and marry Davy. And older Perry is saying, How can I tell her that? you know Davey liked to kick things other than footballs and just the way she delivered that all of a sudden was this oh i'm uncomfortable now i don't know that i want to hear anymore and then we heard more and, and it, her it performance it, her performance was was just you know outstanding and heartbreaking and and terrifying um and and kudos to 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 Neve Campbell first of all for writing it and for then handing it to his wife and saying, "What do you think? Can you do this?" <laughs> and to Nicola for going, "Yeah, I can do that." <laughs> I, I just and and big finish for going, "Yeah, we'll 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 record that and release it." I mean, just uh, across the board. I mean, how how do you pitch this story? It, it's about fish people, but it's not. <laughs> oh, and by the way, right. there's spouse, there's some spousal abuse at the end. I I just wow. So, um, I mean, I I got goosebumps when she was wanting to scream at the TARDIS, you know, you you go and you run away from your problems, go, go run. You you don't want to be me. And then realizing that that was kind of setting up the paradox that she was going to wind up becoming her because she had convinced her that she needed to go to Davy and just the sinking feeling of that. And um, yeah, just, just so terrible for that.
0: But But we get the impression that that version of Perry Probably well, that version of Perry is still early on. I guess a a splinter of that version of Perry goes on to endure that, but also a splinter of that kind of of that version of Perry also goes on, yeah, for other to other things. So
1: there's at least four other
0: versions that didn't endure that. Um, I think one of the, the 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 nice touches is as the first story's ending and you Perry's going into the TARDIS. You hear the the older version of Perry yelling at the TARDIS, but you can't make out what she's yelling. Uh-huh. And then to be able to get the other side of that when the second part reveals what she's yelling at the at the TARDIS, I thought that was a nice touch.
1: Yeah, that really was. And this story kind of like flip flop. I'm kind of if you can execute the telling two stories from a different perspective at the same time, well. I'm just all in. It, even with the ridiculous fish people and everything, the way it, the fact that they can tell the story so tightly, it it just works perfectly. Well, and
0: the the farcical nature of storytelling like this works best in companion chronicles because I think it also goes to one of my defenses for uh, Love and Monsters is the fact that when you're getting the perspective of a storyteller. You're not getting a, a third-person perspective, as we do for many of these stories. When you're getting a first-person perspective of a story, you can't always trust that there isn't some embellishments or some commentary or some editorializing of that story. And so when it's coming from a person telling a story, then it's okay to get You can get away with those kind of things because it, it's their perspective that or maybe a t- twist or a spin they're putting on the
2: tail. You can't trust the narrator. Right.
0: right. Good stuff. I I would definitely risk. I'd love love to go back. I don't think I'd do it real soon, but I'd love to go back and listen to both of these again. Now having the foreknowledge of what's coming in the second part, just to kind of pick up on the little nuances that uh, maybe kind of escaped me that I didn't remember when I got to the second part and went, oh, okay, this is why this is this way. So.
1: Yeah, I'd want it to not be too far in the future, so I would make sure I remember all those things. Oh, I'd say (laughs) one
0: of the best things, though, is uh, talking about the show poking fun of itself, itself, the fact that (laughs) the Sixth Doctor going and yelling at Zarl on the uh, pier and inadvertently (laughs) killing him. I mean, he didn't do it on purpose. (laughs) Zarl freaked out and fell and died. I thought that is so, (laughs) so much poking fun at the the fact that that situation even happened a few times where the doctor would like, you know, dive out of the way. And then the villain would drop into the crusher, you know, <laughs> of course he didn't make, it, yeah. he didn't make any sort of course statements afterwards, but, or puns, but, uh, it, it, it really kind of harkened back to that fact that there were a couple of times that Colin Baker's doctor was inadvertently responsible for somebody's demise. <laughs> well, it,
2: it, it was, um, vengeance, isn't it? When the, the, the- the the two guys are there and he startles one of them and they fall into the vat of acid. Yep, There's that
0: one and then there's another isn't there another <laughs> one where he moves out of the way and uh in I think it is it what's the one with H. G. Wells? Is that time lash? Yeah. Yeah. There's one in there where I think he's avoiding being pushed into the uh transporter and the guy goes on through and falls plumless to his death. So at least I'm vaguely remembering that. Oh yeah, that. that's true.
1: Yeah. yeah, I remember that
2: too. But yes, specifically
0: very, very, vengeance on Veros, where the guy falls in <laughs> into the acid. <laughs> His,
2: yeah, very, uh very six doctory, and the commentary th- that runs throughout it. Perry's, you know, I always think I'm gonna, you know, I always leave the TARDIS wearing heels. I'm always optimistic <laughs> about it. Thinking, They're my optimistic the shoes. You know. <laughs> well, and, and
0: the the comments that. uh older Perry makes about her younger self, about, you know, the the top that she's wearing and the, the very 80s clothes that she has. Just, that's that so much fun.
2: She goes yeah. running down the stairs jiggling yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there Yeah, there, there was just so many good uh, moments in this that it, it just compiled together. Now, did I miss something? The Time Lord who appears at the end.
0: <laughs> in the In the shorts and trying to fit in with the time. (laughs) Is this somebody that we should be
2: familiar with? I I wondered the same thing, Sean, but I'm not sure. I don't think so. Have I screwed something up and did something out of order?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I sort of wondered if maybe Nev was borrowing from that scene in um, is it uh, the second Anton story with Pertwee where the Time Lord comes and he's got this bowler hat and he's floating out above the uh tower thing that the doctor's in and he kind of floats over to it and you do you remember that scene what was the uh...
2: oh, it's, uh, uh, that's a yeah. that's uh, the third doctor that's uh the first one with the master isn't that what i said yeah. third doctor oh i thought yeah you, i thought i thought you said uh, per- oh first you said week, per- yeah week. yeah
0: yeah you did uh, terror right. of the terror, autons, terror yeah. of the autons yeah I, I i wondered if maybe he was kind of invoking that same kind of
2: scenario with this guy entirely possible Cool. I'll have to do some. No, I'll have to do some research on this guy and find out uh, if there's more to him or not.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to look through the wiki, and there's not really. It just calls him the Time Lord, and you know, there's no real specification on the character other than that. So, so it's not
2: like uh, not like Vansel. <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't think there's a name drop. I don't think we're we're
1: supposed to recognize who it was. It was just you know, some. Buddy down the line that has taken over. It's
0: the guy that has to unfortunately come deliver the news of the time Lord's messing up. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Whose turn is it this time? Yeah. I I drew the short (laughs) straw. Anything else about these uh, (laughs) stories that we want to touch on before we move ahead? Just good. Good stuff. Especially this one. Good stuff. All right, Sean, well, what do we got coming up on the schedule?
2: Well, some alternate who next week, uh, we're going to return to the world of Torchwood. Uh, Titan Comics Torchwood Volume Two, along with some more big finish in Torchwood Fall to Earth, which is a Yanto Jones story for everybody that loves Yanto. Uh, then we will uh, be following that some
0: of us don't have a choice.
2: It's still a Yanto story, no matter who it's still <laughs> if you story. like him or not. <laughs> I think you'll like this one, Glenn.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs>
2: Uh, and then uh, following that, we'll be dipping uh, into uh, what is it, the uh, the seventh doctor, uh, Big Finish, with uh, mainline number 145. No, or excuse me, <laughs> 115. Call. Which is called 45. 45. Uh, wow, there's a lot of numbers in that sentence. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love you're reading it. Our thoughts on Big Finish 115, 45 for TTV 421.
2: <laughs> certain things you type and you don't read them after you, you just, you just kind of go Wow. Might want to edit that. Uh, and then uh, the following week, Dr. Who and the cricket, cricket men. men yes. By yes. Douglas Adams and James Goss. Man. So that's uh, that's what's on the horizon. If you're following along at home and want to do some homework and uh, keep abreast of our reviews.
0: Cool. Of course. Uh, we like to hear from you guys. Uh, Keith, how can people contact us? Well, if you're
1: on our website, either listening to this or uh, you know looking at the schedule, you can just click the send feedback tab across the top and you can fill out that form and send it directly to us that way. Or you can send it to feedback at com, Or you can also reach out to us
0: on any form of social media. Sean, if people want to help support this podcast, what do they need to do?
2: Well, while they're... <clears throat> While they're there on our website, checking out that schedule, they can go and click on the Become a Patron button uh, right at the top right hand corner of the page. And uh, that'll allow them to support Driving the War treks on Patreon. Take them to that site and they can uh, donate fundage or they can uh, go to the Patreon site itself. If you're familiar with uh, how that works, it's a great place for donating to artists and uh, paying them for what they do.
0: And of course, if you are listening to us, you know how to get. Uh, this podcast, but you might tell your friends how to get us. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, also on Google Play Podcasts. We're also available on Stitcher. You can listen to us on TuneIn, and we're also available on Player FM at this point. FM at this point. Uh, anything else we need to uh, touch on before we close this one? I don't think so.
2: Terrific. I don't believe so. If that's going to do it for this time, until next time, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody be seeing ya.
0: thanks for listening you have been listening to traveling the vortex doctor who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the bbc no infringement is intended or implied